0: Restoring dignity and showing them that they're not less than. That is something that I think every time every time I see it and we see it happen on every trip is is a continual life change for me and spurs me on. I'm just a little bit passionate about what we do. And a lot of it comes down to that because if I can't fix their problems, I can't make poverty go away, I can't make oppression go away, I can't make discrimination go away, but I can change how they see themselves in this world and I can show them that they are loved where they are and who they are man that changes you that changes you
1: Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, friend. It's always a pleasure to have you stop by and meet our guests. We always have some incredible guests who come and share their stories. Today we have back in the studio Piet Stridum with the Liquid Legacy, a ministry that he's been directing now with his wife Sue for the past three years. We got together recently and talked about a lot. (laughs) Piet. (laughs) Yeah, we did. And
0: it's so good to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Great being back. Thank you for having us.
1: As we were wrapping up the last time, we were Well, first of all, we laid a foundation, I think, of the critical need to have clean drinking water. You and I, we've got these little bottles here that are full of this purified water. I don't know if it's purified or not. We don't even have to
0: think about it. We we, just drink it. Yeah, we
1: just drink it. Or in our tap water at home. Because here in the Memphis area, we've got one of the best wells in the world, this artesian well. And the water gets incredible reviews and people talk about it. So we don't think much about the advantage to have nice water. But some places where you minister, specifically in Peru, there is a lot of disease. Things, humanly speaking, could be changed. People's lives could be changed. Last time you were talking about Brain development mm-hmm. and the early childhood, which we know those first five years are so critical yeah. to get the proper nutrients. And, and you're living in a jungle in Peru, and there's great fresh produce and things to eat. Yeah. But as you pointed out, those bad germs, those parasites, those get parasites in there. inside the water actually take away from those nutrients.
0: Yeah, they'll be the first one to suck up the nutrients before your body has time to absorb those nutrients. The knock-on effects of that stuff is is just it's heartbreaking. We see a lot of uh, staggered brain development, even physical development. Um, it's you know there's a school that we work with in Pokopah called Refuge of Hope. Uh, it's a school for handicapped students. When we first started working with them on clean water, one of the things that we uh, we asked them, they said, you know, parasites is an issue in learning. We said, well, how do you know what some of the signs? And he's like. No, literally, you can see them move inside their stomach. And it's a distraction. So the kids are struggling to learn because of the parasites. Um, And in that school specifically, we saw they had, uh, before we put in a clean water system for them, they had uh, 12 cases of debilitating diarrhea every day among their students. So 12 every day. Um, After putting in a water system, they were down to uh, three of those a month. So just introducing clean water at school even if they're not having clean water at home and just that introduction of clean water already made a massive difference for them.
1: That is beautiful Piet. One of the things I want to do, too, is kind of recap some of what we were ending on last time, and that is how you've been networking local organizations. Uh, we talked about downline ministries. We talked about the Shea Clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about Labaner Hospital, Campbell's Clinic. Yeah. I-, I think this is a beautiful picture of joining hands, these yeah. partnerships. And I mean, this ministry is only three years old.
0: Yeah, we're uh, we're still new, new kids on the block in a lot of ways. But like I said, we we built on this foundation that Dr. Shea and Dr. Shipman and others like them—they've um, been going to proof the. You know, Dr. Shea went 40 years ago his first time. Um, Dr. Shipman had been going for almost 30 years now, and so having those guys that have gone before us—that's. That's the foundation we're building on. And so that's given us a lot of head start in a lot of ways. So as much as it's we're only three years old, we've been able to accomplish a huge amount of things. And it's it's been able to build those relationships with other Memphis organizations. I
1: don't know if you realize this or not. You mentioned Dr. Shipman, a retired dentist. Yeah. And he's, I think, on your board. He's the chairman of our board. Chairman of your board. He was instrumental in this radio station beginning here in Memphis back in 1986. I'm trying to remember the story, but he was one of the early guys that said, we need a Christian Mm -hmm. radio Bible teaching program in Memphis. I don't know if he reached out to Mr. Bott or what the connection was, but Mr. Bott and Dr. Shipman know each other. And I remember meeting him when we first opened this station up back in 1986. So he's a visionary for new things. He
0: is. He is. (laughs) He probably would buck against that, um, but he is a visionary. Um, he's He's not afraid to forge new ground. You know, it's been incredible to see how God has used him through the years with various ministries like this. And at the same time, you know, uh, when he would go down to Peru in previous years, uh, he would be in his scrubs in a village just pulling teeth. And um, out there, he was just a guy that could help and did what he could and changed countless lives that way, Um, while at the same time, you know, being involved in startup ministries here.
1: That's so great. Uh, Talk about the ripple effects of what you have seen, Piet, specifically where medical teams have gone Mm -hmm. in, touched the lives of somebody with a condition or a situation, medically speaking. They were treated, and you've seen the ripple effect of that life Mm -hmm. addressed medically and how it's changed some of the effects of that.
0: Yeah, One of the um, kind of cool things about how we do and and, uh, approach even the medical side of things is we do everything we do is through the local church. So uh, when we take a medical team out into the jungle, uh, we'll take them out on a big boat, and we'll pull up to a village. Team stays on the boat, and we have pastors from the church association, the Shipibo Church Association with us, Um, and they'll get off the boat. They'll meet the pastor. They meet the village elders. And when our team gets invited to come and do the clinic in the the, uh, village, it's on the invitation of the local church. So to every villager there— they know that this medical team this american medical team is here because the local church in their village brought them there and so if you ask them who liquid legacy is they'd have no clue but they know that the pastor of that church that they haven't been going to is the one that brought this help so then we we treat them medically and you know sadly we can't there's certain things we can't do anything about a lot of what we see is old injuries and those kind of things and we can give them some relief but a lot of times we can we can change their lives you know and it's Sometimes very basic things of showing somebody that has an old injury how to do a certain stretch and suddenly they can swing a machete again. And if they do these stretches every day, they're going to rebuild those muscles. Parasite meds, being able to give them parasite meds and they know for the next six months they're going to be healthier and they're going to be parasite-free. being able to hand out uh, children 's vitamins and prenatal vitamins for the women that 's huge and then a lot of times we come across some serious issues where medically uh, they might have died within a week if we had not intervened in that wow. in that instance um, so we see life change in in the physical through the medical care that we 're giving absolutely uh, people who uh, haven 't been able to read uh, because their eyesight is so bad and suddenly we give them a pair of reading glasses and i 'm talking reading glasses you buy. It you know, at the corner store for 20 bucks. Give them a pair of reading glasses. They put it on for the first time they're able to read their Bible in years. Um, And you see see their faces light up when that happens. And so there's that physical side of things that we see a lot of times on the spot change happening. But then it's the stories afterwards because the local church is the one that brought them in. And so suddenly somebody has not gone to their church, even though the church is right there in the village, suddenly stepping into the doors of the church because – there's something good here because you just brought those folks to change my life physically. Wow. So what am I missing here? And then we hear stories of spiritual change. So I, I say a lot of time to our folks, especially on the medical teams, even though you can share with them, you're going to be praying over your patients and all those things. Chances of you leading somebody to the Lord in that moment, it'll happen. But it's it's not often. You don't speak the language. Sometimes we have to go three translations deep. They speak Shipibo, and we have a Spanish translator, and then we speak English. And we don't understand the culture and the life there. But what we're doing is opening the door for the pastor, for the local Christians um, in the community, to be able to reach their own communities in a very powerful way.
1: And that's really what Liquid Legacy stands for, helping the community ultimately sustain itself. Even through the water purification system, you teach them how to use these systems how to fix the systems yeah. when something goes wrong, even, I guess, how to build new systems in right. other areas.
0: Yeah, we are in the process right now of, uh, we have been taking teams from the U.S. that get trained here by Living Waters for the World. We take them to a training there. We get trained on how to uh, do the education side, how to do the small business side, how to install the actual system. And now we're switching. Now we are we have uh, a group of local Peruvians that we are training through Living Waters for the World Partnership. We're training them in. Peru on how to put in systems themselves, how to do site evaluations, how to do the health and education side of things by themselves. So we're doing less and less of that and empowering them to do it for themselves. Yes. Yeah. And we're a support. We're coming alongside them as equals, loving on them, supporting them, walking through uh, life with them, but empowering them to do the work.
1: Would you say that these services have been the key to building these friendships and trusted relationships among the people where you serve?
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know, the key is to come alongside as equals. We have this uh, um, white savior complex sometimes is what we call it, you know, Um, and it's got nothing to do with white. But it's it's this Western mindset of we have life figured out. Life is pretty good. I mean, look at how we live here. And then we go to a, a community that in our minds is not nearly as developed as we are, is not nearly as far along as we are. And we go in with this idea of we've got to go fix that for them. Or without us, they're not going to get anywhere. So we have to go do that. We have to go give them. And what we've done in seeing them work really well is instead of that kind of mindset, is coming alongside as equals. And so when I meet with a new church uh, in Peru or in Abaco, uh, the idea isn't, hey, we've got it figured out. Let's come and teach you how to do it. It's a coming alongside. What can I learn from you? What is there that we can come and support and and just uplift on your side, rather than let me show you how or let me fix that for you. We have to assume ourselves as equals. We're all created equally in the image of God. They're not lesser in the image of God. And so if we come with that mindset, there's a friendship there then, rather than a dependency. Yeah.
1: What are some things, surprisingly, that you've learned about the people you're engaging when you present the model Mm -hmm. of the Liquid Legacy?
0: Um, I would say, uh, surprisingly, there's a lot of distrust initially. And I think it's just history. Uh, Is there, you know, know, look at Pucallpa, uh, that city specifically in Peru, at one point had the largest missional base in the world. Wycliffe had a base there that was the largest in the world. And Wycliffe did a lot of amazing things there. But there's, there's a long history of missionaries and missional organizations coming through that area. And with that came a lot of abuse taken advantage of, empty promises. You know, none of us are perfect. There's a lot of the old model of missions of, uh, we'll come and teach you how to do it right. We're going to show you how to really live. We're going to fix all your problems. And so when we say that's not what we're about, surprisingly, there's mistrust in the beginning. And we have to walk out that friendship. I find that, you know, when I'm willing to sit in their home and eat their food, regardless of how different it is, you know, I found myself in little shanty homes with a dirt floor and the chickens running around, eating the food that they're eating out of their plates and sharing that meal and that home life with them and going, this is fantastic. We're sitting across from each other, and I'm emerging myself in your life rather than going, now let me take you to a restaurant so we can eat the way I want to eat. I also find that their food is way better at home. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my
1: Pete. And I was just thinking, isn't that the way Jesus, Mm -hmm. he was incarnational? He came into our world. Yeah. And you're stepping into their world and their yeah. culture, identifying with them. Yeah. Piet, share, if you will, a moment about why you rather not send long term missionaries to do the work <laughs> of the Liquid Legacy.
0: You're getting me in trouble now. <laughs> um, I, um, I feel like the world has gotten so much smaller. You know, I think uh, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, it made sense um, for us to pack up our stuff and move to a foreign country and immerse ourselves into that culture and live there long term. You know, the the missionaries, Tom and Rita, that we have in Peru, Tom's parents were missionaries sent from the U.S. And they spent 50 years on the missional field. And back then they spent five years in a village and then they came back for a year of furlough and then back for five years. So Tom was born and raised in the jungles there and, and comes from that kind of missional movement where we sent folks out. Today's world has gotten so small. We can travel anywhere we want in a very, minus COVID, yep. a very easy way and quick way. You know, I can get down to Peru um, in five-hour flight from Miami, you know, five and a half hours and I'm in Lima and another hour I'm in the jungle. So I can leave here in the morning and I can be in the jungle tonight. Um, education has come so far and our, our ways of communicating, even if I don't speak the language, there's tools that I can use to communicate with them. So the difference today is that I can go down there and I can meet with local Christians. The the church has advanced in these countries so much over the years. So I can go and meet with a pastor. I can go meet with everyday Christians there. I can take downline ministries down there. And in five days, empower a group of men and women on discipleship tools, how to better disciple and grow other followers, how to reach the lost in their own community. And they're effective day one. They speak the language. They are in the culture. They understand the culture. It's their people. They already have the respect and the trust of their communities. So if I can empower um, that individual in the church who is a believer and has a heart for the Lord and a heart for missions, if I can empower them to reach their own communities – I can do that fairly inexpensively and very quickly. If you wanted to send me to Peru as a full-time missionary, I'd have to spend about a year, maybe two years, going around church to church, gathering the funds. And then I'm going to have to move me and my family down there, so there's an expense there in moving everything down there. It'll take me about two years to master the language. Even if I have a basic understanding of, say, Spanish and Peru, it'll take me two to three years to really master right. the language. It'll take me five to seven years to really understand, grasp, and fit into, some extent, Mm -hmm. the culture. So I can't really be effective until about year five or seven. The thousands of dollars that it would cost us as a church in the U.S. to accomplish that versus the few thousand dollars to take a couple guys from here that are passionate about discipleship and evangelism and spend five days with a group of folks that have the same passion there.
1: Because they have the same Holy Spirit.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's not like they're short on the gospel. It's not like they're short on the Holy Spirit. And they speak the language, and they understand the culture, they can reach their own people day one, yeah. and they don't need five years. So I really feel like that, that's a change in the missional movement that's happening, is that we are, we're in a position to empower the local churches to do the work of evangelism, to do the work of discipleship, and to reach their own people in that sense. And we can come alongside them as brothers and sisters and keep on encouraging them, and we learn from them just as much in that process.
1: Well, you know, when we think about short-term missions, we don't always think about things like leadership development, Mm -hmm. marriage enrichment, financial training, small business development. These are areas, when you talk about community development, that you focus on through the Liquid Legacy. So people listening who have skills in these areas they can have an overseas mission experience Absolutely. and impact a community.
0: Yeah, you take a small business owner for instance, you know, a uh, huge amount of small businesses here in Memphis. And a lot of times uh you know, you find somebody who's a strong believer, has a heart for ministry and for the kingdom sing advance. They run their small business. Running a small business is full-time job 24-7, there is no downtime. You're not working 40-hour weeks, you know. Okay. Running a small business is is a, a life commitment in a sense. And so a lot of times uh, folks running small businesses feel like that's all they have, and what else can I offer the kingdom, yeah. you know, other than running my business and running it with integrity, maybe reaching some of my employees or my customers and being a good example on that. But the skills that they have as a small business owner we can use in the field we can take that we can take them on a short term and sit them in a room with three or four small business owners in peru that are in the same boat but they don't have access to the same education resources they're not as far along in terms of experience and suddenly you can impart your knowledge of what made you successful you know how do you manage family church and your small business and time commitments with that how do you grow your small business How do you deal with the finances? Because sometimes you are a one-man show in that small business. How do you work your relationship with your spouse in running a small business, whether you work together or not? And those are all things that a small business owner kind of doesn't even realize that they have figured out. Uh, And they can come alongside somebody else and have a massive impact.
1: So you've been able to take some of these small business
0: on trips like this? Yeah, we've done financial stuff. We've taken financial advisors from here, and we do financial training and teaching there, teaching them how to live on a budget and how to better manage their finances, both personal but also small business, taking some leadership, especially in small business leadership, church leadership, uh, just general community leadership, and having seminars on that and training opportunities for that.
1: How do the people receive the idea to become an empowered Mm -hmm. community to self-govern? When for many they have been living in a survival mode,
0: it's interesting. I feel like they, you know, what we've seen is they come alive with it. They see the potential. They they see a way forward to break that cycle of just uh, surviving to actually being able to thrive. They see that opportunity, and it's such an encouragement for them that you would spend your time, effort, and money. They know it costs you both time and money wise to get all the way out there. So when you get there. The relationships we have in place, the reputation we have on the ground, When, in a lot of ways, they don't know Liquid Legacy. They know Memphis. So when Memphis shows up and says, hey, we're having a seminar, they're there because there's hope for them in that. And you came all the way to tell me something. It's got to be important. And they find a lot of hope in that. And um, we see a lot of that cycle being broken.
1: What have been some of the challenges to building that community that's empowered to self-govern?
0: Um, some of the challenges there is just – uh, a lot of it is us understanding the culture more because we we can teach them uh, some principles and things. Because some of but, the principles that work here might not work there. Yeah, and the principle might work, but the practical is the government system is different. Their laws are different. Culturally, some things that are acceptable there aren't acceptable here. Things that are acceptable here isn't there. So a lot of times it's, it's overcoming those, but we find that it's fun in a sense because of the equal footing that we come in on, they're open to addressing those things. So when we present an opportunity or, hey, here's an idea or here's what we do, they'll be quick to go, that's great, but that's not going to work here and this is why. And then you can work together to find how do we make that work? How do we find a solution to that? And it becomes a collaboration and that gets things fired up.
1: Pete, we've been spending a lot of time on these past two shows talking about the liquid legacy work in primarily Pucala, Peru. Yeah. There's another area
0: that you have a heart for. It's Abaco. Abaco is the most northeastern islands of the Bahamas. Obviously, when I say Bahamas, we all go, oh, paradise.
1: Well, in 2019, Hurricane Dorian struck the island. People today are still living in tents, uh, makeshift homes. Some still don't have roofs over their homes, relying on tapestry for tarps. For shelter, the uh, Marsh Harbor still has large areas without electricity and running water. September 1st will be two-year anniversary
0: for Dorian, and over 50% of the homes, specifically in Abaco, Marsh Harbor, over 50% of the homes have not been repaired. You have folks living in tents. It's hurricane season right now, so I got the alert this morning that there is storm warnings. There's not a hurricane on the way, but there's a, a thunderstorm warnings, and you have folks who, who still don't have a roof over their head. You have families that have been displaced, so you have a situation where mom is on a different island with the kids where they're going to school and she's making do while dad is back. In Abaco trying to figure out how do I fix the house and get a job and have money to fix the house and get things ready so that the family can come back. A lot of challenges. So why this particular island in the Bahamas? Because God opened the door when I didn't see it coming. Uh, we had actually been uh, working on expanding in South America. The vision, because of Peru being our base, has been expanding. The natural thing was, was expanding in South America. And then uh, in 2020, through our partnership with the University of Memphis, we had a team of uh, students that wanted to do an alternate break over spring break and do a serve opportunity. The hope was to take them to Peru. The dates didn't work in Peru. The folks in Peru, our network down there, they have contacts, believe it or not, in Abaco, Bahamas, and said, hey, this this pastor that we know of there. They're struggling. It's six months after the hurricane. Why don't you take the students there? Contacted the pastors there, got connected with a few folks, and they said, just bring them. We'll put them to work. I had never been to Abaco, and I took a team from the university and said, if you guys want to take a chance on this, I'll do it with you. They were all in. So we took uh, 10 students, one staff person, and then myself, so the 12 of us. And that was end of February, beginning March, I guess beginning in March of 2020. Went over there. We, we stayed in the church facility. The roof was dry, but we had running water and electricity for two hours every night. Imagine every morning students getting up and needing to use bathrooms, and there is no bathrooms to use. The island at that point was still very, there's nothing green. Everything was gone. There's not a leaf on a tree. There's not a blade of grass. Everything, it was so strong. Everything is either totally gone or snapped off at about the three-foot mark. There's just nothing, no shelter. At that point, it was very little electricity, no running water. You had to run a generator for a bit. Gas was unbelievably expensive. So I was there with U of M. Then COVID hits. And we have to evacuate. So we were there four days into a 10-day trip. Uh, On day five, we had to evacuate all the students and come back because the borders were closing. So thankfully, through some partnerships, we managed to get everybody out, get everybody back to Memphis before the borders closed. And then… COVID hit. And so you have these folks that have been struggling without water, without electricity, without a home, and then COVID hits. And so all the help shuts down, all the aid stops, all the workers that were coming in from, you know, we were working with Samaritan's Purse down there and all these bigger organizations, you know, Water Mission, all of them suddenly had to pull back because of COVID. We were able to go back in March. Dr. Shipman went down with us, we dragged him down there took some of the board down and did some strategic meetings, did a little bit of work. And then we just got back four or five weeks ago having a team down there doing some work. And so we're going to expand Liquid Legacy in Abaco, helping with the rebuilding. So there's
1: plans. I know some of that is tempered by the COVID restrictions, or yeah. right now, is it open to go?
0: It is open to go. There's about a you know, few hoops to jump through. They have a curfew in place on that side. Um, eight o'clock, everybody has to be in their homes, and nobody can be out and about. Mass restrictions, those kind of things. But we are able to take teams there. So the hope is to take another team in October. We definitely need skilled, and when I say skilled, I don't mean like Professional contractors, if you can swing a hammer, we need folks, men and women, that have just basic handyman skills. Yeah. If you've picked up a power tool and know how to use it, we can use you. You can be used. Absolutely.
1: As we wrap up, Pete, I'd like for you to share your personal joy of reestablishing people's identity through mm-hmm. the ministry of the liquid legacy.
0: Oh, man. Uh, you're going to get me on that one. Um, You know, having grown up in South Africa, I think has given me a a different perspective on life too that probably plays into things for me. But it's when we see dignity restored to people, when we see people who uh, have been made to feel through circumstances, uh, through others, uh, less than. And we can come alongside them. And sometimes it's as simple as a conversation. Sometimes it's building them a bathroom. And for the first time in their lives, that family has a bathroom. Restoring dignity and showing them that they're not less than that is something that I think every time every time I see it and we see it happen on every trip is is continual life change for me and spurs me on. I'm just a little bit passionate about what we do. A lot of it comes down to that because if I can't fix their problems, I can't make poverty go away, I can't make oppression go away, I can't make discrimination go away, but I can change how they see themselves in this world and I can show them that they are loved where they are and who they are, man, that changes you. That changes you.
1: It, that is beautiful. Thank you, my dear brother, for what you and Sue both through The Liquid Legacy are doing for Christ's kingdom. Thanks for, for being our guest these past two days. Thank you. We're going to have to say goodbye. Before we do, we need to get the website out and contact information.
0: Yeah, theliquidlegacy.org. Also, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram, The Liquid Legacy Project. You can find information there, trips there. Also, the very important Donate Now button. Go to that website, friend. Please,
1: learn more, give support and also pray about how God might use you on a a future trip. Stay tuned to the website for updates about trips that are being planned for future dates. That's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.